Welcome to Mariner's Church Weekend Message Podcast, inspiring people to follow Jesus and fearlessly change the world. Discover your purpose and get connected by visiting marinerschurch.org or click the link in the show notes. Hi, Mariner's Church. We are in part five of our series in 1 Peter called Hope in Hopeless Time, and today's scripture addresses marriage. Yippee, said no single person ever, right? And I realize those of you who are single, you may be thinking you'd rather be a Chuck E. Cheese with a gaggle of colicky babies hopped up on candy crack than listen to this sermon. And I get it, but I encourage you not to check out because percentages are pretty high that you're probably gonna get married. And if you are married, you don't wanna check out either because really percentages are pretty high that your marriage won't last. My marriage started 36 years, 127 days, and 18 hours ago, but who's counting? And actually, just a few hundred yards from where I'm standing right now in our Mariners Community Center was March 23rd, 1985. I exchanged vows with Catherine Jean Guiso, and I brought a photo of that day. Wait, no, where's the one from 1985? Oh, there we are. We're 20, 21-year-old babies, and here we are last week. This is last week, 36 years later. Now, note the physical changes. I, I think Kathy looks even better today, but my skin has changed from like lively to leathery. My, my face is like an old baseball glove. But physical changes are actually kind of a perfect metaphor for marriage because marriage changes you. And before I got married, I remember hearing that a marriage would change me, but honestly, I didn't really understand a lot of the premarital advice that I received. For example, um, I remember our premarital counselor saying, Doug, you've got to learn that sex starts in the morning. I'm like, learn? <laughs> I was praying that's when it would start. I was a 21-year-old, and I heard it as a statement of fact rather than a, a marriage principle for treating Kathy with honor from the moment that she wakes up. And his second bit of advice was, don't try to change Kathy, but allow her to change you. I'm like, what? Okay, Dr. Phil, that doesn't even make sense. I mean, sex in the morning, I understand, but, but that's confusing. And if we're honest, the, the whole construct of marriage is a little confusing and, and mysterious. I mean, think about it. You've got one sinner who marries another sinner with the anticipation of having little sinnerlings, and with all that sin around, we're supposed to live happily ever after? I mean, at least that's what you thought when you were dating, right? When it was when it was dreamy and romantic, and you're like, no, you hang up. No, I'm not gonna hang up first. You, I could stay on the phone and listen to you breathe all night. I'm, I mean, it was gross, okay? I mean, cute, but gross and unsustainable. And then you get married, and you quickly realize that there's no such thing as a perfect marriage. And why? Because you're not perfect. Like, you married a weirdo, and your spouse married a nut job, and as a result, marriages have difficulties. And all of us, we're just in different stages of difficulty. Some of us have uh, minor occasional blips, but our marriage is really good. And there are others of us who we appear married, but behind closed doors, the marriage has degraded into a roommate situation and, and the marriage seems hopeless. And then there's kind of everybody in between. And before we dig into the scripture, let me just publicly state that I am a big fan of marriage. 
I've written several books on marriage. I enjoy talking about marriage. Every month I speak at our, our Marriage Matters here, which is next Saturday night. I'd love for you to join us. Uh, but mostly, I just love being married to Kathy. My wife is the absolute coolest human on the planet, and there's no one I'd rather go through life with her. And here's what's really exciting. She's told me that I'm in her top eight. <laughs> I'm about to be top seven because our dog is really old. So uh, what does the Bible actually say about marriage? Uh, well, to be honest, Jesus doesn't even talk that much about it, which I find interesting. I mean, we have a ton of Jesus teaching on prayer and faith and generosity and caring for the hurting and, and the kingdom of God, but not so much on marriage. I mean, even Jesus is like, hey, I may be God, but I am not getting in the middle of you two. <laughs> and that's kind of how I feel about today's text. We've been studying 1 Peter all summer, and we're in 1 Peter 3, 1 through 7, and I'm just letting you know, some of you are not going to like the seven verses that we're going to read, no matter what I say about them. I'm going to get beaten like a pinata just for reading what's in the Bible, but sometimes when you teach a whole book of the Bible, like we're doing with 1 Peter, it, it forces us into scriptures that we might not normally study, and this is good for us because we believe all scripture is from God and for us and for our good. So, you're going to hear a couple controversial words that actually may cause you to believe that Peter is a chauvinist. But what Peter writes is actually a radical cultural reframe of the way men are called to treat women. So here's what I'm asking. Before you storm out, I'm simply asking you to at least hear me out. And then at the end of our time together, you can obviously decide for yourself what you want to do with, with God's word, okay? So now let me remind you, uh, Peter is writing to, uh, he's writing to people of faith. So his audience is the church. He's not writing to a secular audience. He is writing to Christians. First Peter 3, starting at verse 1. In the same way, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands so that even if some disobey the word, they may be won over without a word by the way their wives live. When they observe your pure, reverent lives, don't let your beauty consist of outward things like elaborate hairstyles and wearing gold jewelry or fine clothes, but rather what is inside the heart, the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For in the past, the holy women who put their hope in God also adorned themselves in this way, submitting to their own husbands, just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, which Lord is lowercase. It's kind of in today's vernacular as another term for, for husband. You have become her children when you do what is good and do not fear any intimidation. Verse seven, husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way as with a weaker partner, showing them honor as co-heirs of the grace of life so that your prayers will not be hindered. All right, now let's, <laughs> let's take a look at just a couple of the explosive words you just heard. The first is this whole idea of a weaker partner. All right, now what does that mean? I mean, you need to know that I have never referred ever to women as weaker. I mean, first off, about half of the women in my CrossFit gym are stronger than me. And secondly, I've been in a delivery room three times and all I can say is, ouch, all right? I mean, I was definitely the weaker partner there. But here's the deal with the word weaker, okay, weaker partner. During the first century, it was a very common view that women were physically weaker and therefore more vulnerable. And actually, if you go outside of the Bible to the secular authors in the Greek and Hebrew world, they actually believe that women were weaker in all regards. 
not just physically weaker, but mentally weaker, emotionally weaker, uh, spiritually weaker, basically weaker in every way. But Peter doesn't hold that view, which is obvious because what he's doing is he's appealing to a woman's intellect and he's calling for a higher morality and a boldness to bring their non-Christian husbands to faith. Actually, Peter drops a countercultural bomb in verse seven when he says women are co-heirs, that he's actually stating the equality of men and women during a time when women were not viewed as equals. And, And ladies, I want you to hear me clearly say that nowhere does Peter or the rest of the New Testament teach that women are inferior to men. And, and when, you need, uh, you know, when we study the Bible and b- biblical interpretation, which is called exegesis, it requires us to read scripture in light of the totality of God's word. So when we leave 1 Peter, we see similarities in the Apostle Paul's writing to the church of Galatia. So in Galatians, he says, there is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for you're all what? One in Christ Jesus. And If you were to do your homework about this, you would find that the early church leaders, they actually had a high view of women because Jesus modeled that view. Jesus's treatment of women was, it was revolutionary. And Jesus treated them with dignity and respect. When women were degraded and viewed really slightly higher than animals. So this high view of women from Jesus became a model for both Peter and Paul. So really this word weaker in 1 Peter, it just meant physically weaker. Like men, she may be more physically vulnerable than you, but she is your co-heir. She is your equal. How about another explosive word there? We saw the word submit, right? Submit yourself to your husbands. And, you know, unfortunately over the centuries, too many men have taken this verse out of context and used it in a in an ugly and abusive way, which is why it's totally understandable that there's this recoil to the word submit. But to Peter's audience, the idea of a woman submitting to her husband, it was not new. A woman submitting to a husband's leadership, it was the cultural norm. It was written into something that was called the household code that was universally read and observed. See, submission wasn't even a Christian distinctive. It was a cultural expectation. So that meant that there would be no no wife in the first century would have said, what, submit to my husband? Are you out of your mind? I mean, if anyone should do the submitting, it should be him. I mean, everybody knows that I'm the real boss of the house. If If the kids fall off their camel, they don't come running into the house yelling for dad, like I'm the boss. See, but the word submit, it simply means to yield or to order. So biblically, this idea of submission is voluntary, okay? It's not demanded. And again, once again, it doesn't imply inferiority. Now, you might be saying, okay, Doug, but why is there even a need for somebody to yield or uh, for there to be an order when it comes to relationships? Well, mostly because where there is a lack of some type of order, uh, there's often relational chaos. You've seen it. I mean, earlier in chapter two, Peter writes about submitting to officials as the right thing to do. So there's this governmental order. And even if you go to today, in the mar- today's marketplace, you don't find businesses operating smoothly with two CEOs. I mean, even in the church, I submit to Eric's leadership, even though I'm technically his senior. 
I've got more life experience than, than our senior pastor. I'm obviously stronger than him. <laughs> I would get a full tattoo. I mean, who taps out after being tattooed with one letter? Think about it, Mariner's Church. Kenton used to be the senior pastor here for decades, and now he isn't, and he submits to Eric's leadership. Does that make Kenton weak or less than? Not at all. We're not inferior to him in any way. We just play different roles. And see, for me, submission would only become difficult if Eric's leadership was weak, which obviously isn't the case. And therefore, I can happily and volunteer submit without being or feeling less than. But here's the mind blower when it comes to this idea of submission. Within the Trinity, okay, the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, submission is a part of the Trinity. That Jesus is totally equal with God the Father, and yet the Bible says that Jesus submits to the Father for the purpose of our salvation. So even within the relational dynamics of the Trinity, there's what I would call a, a holy order. That submission is not intended to cause pain or confusion. It's really designed for relational harmony. And if you're a Christian, the Apostle Paul actually calls you and I to a mutual submission. Ephesians 5.21 says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Again, this was so radical and empowering to women because submission isn't just a one-way deal. We submit to one another because Jesus is ultimately in charge. And yes, Paul's marriage formula calls for wives to submit to husbands, which was normal, but then he asked husbands to do something that was totally insane, totally radical. He says this in Ephesians chapter five, he says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Now, this was shocking because husbands are supposed to love their wives like Jesus loves the church. Let's pause. <laughs> what did Jesus do for the church? What did Jesus do for God's people? He died, right? He, he died serving the church. So based on Paul's teaching, if a husband was stupid enough to say, woman, submit, she could biblically be accurate by saying, man, die. All right, gentlemen, Paul calls us to love our wives to death, not her death, your death. And if we go back to 1 Peter, he actually uses the word honor, which again was totally countercultural because women weren't given honor. Peter says, verse seven, husbands, show them honor as co-heirs of the grace of life. Men, to honor means to instill or infuse value. You were to value your wife as if she's a masterpiece and worthy of a, of a high price tag. And the verb used here in the original language means to assign. So you're assigning worth or value by how well you love her. You honor her by treating her like the queen that you married. In, uh, in the 36 years of marriage, I have never asked Kathy to submit to me, never. See, my focus hasn't been on trying to get her to submit to my leadership. My marriage focus is what, on what I need to do and what I need to bring into the marriage, which is sacrificial love and honor. So here's kind of how I see submission working. If I'm honoring Kathy, I'm loving her so deeply and treating her like the queen that she is, she's gonna live with a, 
a sense of security and confidence. She's going to know that I've got her best interest in mind and that I want the very best for her. And if that is the operating system by which I play out my role as husband, then, you know, a few times we can't agree on something. She doesn't say, I submit to you, O superior leader, because you are male and I am doormat. No. Instead, she thinks something like, okay, Doug, because I know you're willing to die for me and you've proven your love with your actions and I've grown to respect your decisions, I'm going to choose to trust you. I got your back on this one. Let's, Let's go. And I think one of the reasons this relational model gets sideways is because, frankly, wives aren't loved the way God designed us husbands to love them. I mean, if we did, this whole idea of a holy order, it wouldn't even be an issue. She'd happily trust you. See, submission is a confident trust that is given freely from a sense of security that that she is honored and loved well. And if you're a couple who are both followers of Jesus, I want to encourage you to view this idea of honor and submission as gifts that you can give one another. Keyword, give. Why? Because gifts aren't demanded. If I demand you to give me a gift, it's no longer a gift. See, honor is a gift a husband can bring to a marriage. And submission, or or essentially, I trust you, is a gift a wife can bring to a marriage. And when those gifts are given to each other, you begin playing as a team rather than competing against one another. See, relationally, God designed marriage to be a team, actually a team of one. Now, let's take a quick look at just the kind of the beginning of the genesis of marriage where God creates Eve and Adam says, this is Genesis 2, 23. He says, at last, the man exclaimed, This one is bone from my bone and flesh from my flesh. Now, Adam says, at last. Any any husbands ever, you know, find yourself waiting on your wife? If so, this is where it started, all right? At last. This one is bone from my bone and flesh from my flesh, which actually kind of seems like a boring response. Having just awoken to someone who isn't an animal and happens to be a a human that's naked, I can't imagine Adam coming out of a deep sleep and seeing human nudity for the first time and saying, at last, uh, someone who can help me name the animals. I hope she has a good personality. Actually, this may be where the phrase praise God came from. Like, praise God, wrap her up, I'll take her. Actually, better yet, don't wrap her up. I'll take her just like that. Genesis verse 24, it says, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother, is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. See, God's design for marriage is that two become one. It's kind of an odd arithmetic, right? One plus one equals one. And obviously, you can believe whatever you want, but for thousands of years, this has been the historical biblical view of marriage. And this idea of oneness is what connects submission to honor. That in my marriage, it's not me against Kathy or Kathy against me. We're one. So when Kathy wins, I win. And when I win, she wins. Why? Because we're one. And if I honor her and she comes alive, we win. When she speaks words of respect into my role as as dad or husband, something lights up inside of me. And, And I don't win alone. We win together. One wins. And who doesn't want that? I mean, that's what marriages are longing for, to be one. Now, look, I'm a realist. 
And I know that Peter's words may keep some of you from seeing the, the bigger picture of marriage, and I get it. But if I could diffuse this bomb by, by dropping a different translation, I'd use the DFV. Now, the DFV is the Doug Fields version, and it says this. Husbands, serve your wives, and wives, serve your husbands. Because if you want to win in marriage, submission and honor show up when you serve one another. Men, if you want a better marriage, serve her. Ladies, if you want a healthy marriage, serve him. It's as simple and as complex as that. And here's why it's complex. Because if you're anything like me, uh, serving doesn't come naturally. See, I'm a, I'm a very nice guy, but I'm also a very selfish guy. Like, for example, when I, when I arrive to preach at, at Mariners on, on Sunday morning, the band is usually on stage rehearsing, which means the box of donuts behind stage is unguarded. And I take the old-fashioned glazed donut because I know that if I don't get it early, by the time the band has picked it over, there's just one donut remaining. And you know which one I'm talking about. It's the runt of the litter, like the one no one wants. It's the cake donut, which is neither cake nor donut. And it's the only thing that has going for it. It's round, no frosting, no taste. It's like a piece of toast married a European cookie. It's awful. But here's my point. I arrived to preach to thousands of people and I'm spiritually fired up. I've literally been on my knees begging God to speak through me and for his word to speak to you. I'm right with God. Like I, me and Jesus are tight and yet I'm still selfish enough to want the best donut. I'm basically, here's my point. I'm hopeless. Actually, I'm hopeless on my own power. And there's no way that I can adequately serve Kathy on my own power. So I need God's transforming power within me. I want to serve her. In my marriage, I want to serve her. My spirit says, go, Doug, serve her. Be like Jesus. But my flesh quickly kicks in and says, wait a second, Doug. <laughs> Slow it down there, buddy. That act of service is going to cause you some discomfort. So just wait a second and let's see if she does it herself. Now, don't get me wrong, in the big areas of marriage, I am super quick to serve her. Like if she tripped down a flight of stairs, I would run to pick her up. I mean, if she burst into flames because she's so smoking hot, I would run through fire to save her. Like with the biggies, I am a gold medalist in serving my wife. But uh, with the smaller, more subtle, more everyday areas of marriage, I'm not quite as quick to serve. Like, you know, getting out of bed to turn off the lights when she was the last to bed or wasting my time, help her find her keys when losing them is clearly her fault or uh, stopping my sermon prep to help her put away the groceries when I have a deadline or uh, voluntarily giving up the remote control when I know she doesn't handle it as well as me uh, and she'll turn it to the Hallmark Channel. Now, obviously, those are fictitious situations. And, uh, but those are the, the little things. And I realize some of you may be thinking, Doug, I don't really think serving one another is going to help my marriage. Our problems are a whole lot bigger than just doing those little acts of service. Okay. But could it be that one of the reasons you have big problems is because you stopped doing the little things for one another that, that you used to be, or you used to do? Or you might be thinking, well, serving's not going to change my spouse. Okay. Maybe not, but serving will change you. See, serving is an act of obedience that comes with a blessing. And the change that happens in your heart is the blessing. And a changed you might be what will eventually change or strengthen your marriage. Try it. See, some of you, you need to resign from your current approach that 
frankly, isn't working. So instead of moping and manipulating and complaining and criticizing, change your method and look for daily opportunities to serve your spouse. Men, do you want to be desirable to your wife? Well, if so, it's not by adding another zero to your net worth. It's by drawing close to Jesus and allowing him to change you from the inside out and show you how to love and honor and serve your wife. Ladies, do you want to be desirable for your husband? As Peter wrote in verses three and four, it's not about all the outward beauty. Peter said, instead, clothe yourself with the inner beauty that is found in the woman who draws close to Jesus and walks with him as her savior. Mariner's Church, I I honestly believe your marriage can be helped and healed. Your marriage can result in both happiness and holiness. The happiness you want to experience and the holiness that God wants for you. And the quickest way that I know to get there is to serve one another. And when you do serve one another, you're going to resemble Jesus who served you on the cross and loves you today. And I realize that messages on marriage, they can trigger a lot of pain. Some current pain, some past pain. It could even be the pain of a single person who's dreaming of of being married. Whatever you're going through today, I, I just want to invite you to not go through it alone. That we have a God who hears your every cry and we have a team of people who want to pray with you. So during this next song, I want to invite you to text the number that's on your screen. And as you do, someone from our prayer team will reach out to you and pray in faith for God to do a mighty work in your relationships. And for the rest of us, I invite you now to worship and pray for our friends who are in a great time of need. All right, extend your hands, please, and let me pray a prayer of blessing over you as we go. Jesus, I pray you'd bless your sons and daughters this week, that you would remind them that you are gentle and approachable and that you love them. Cause your face to shine on them. I pray they will experience your mercy and your joy this new week. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Go in peace, have a great week. Thanks for tuning in to the Mariner's Weekend Message Podcast. To support the ministry of Mariner's Church, you can click the link in the show notes or download the Mariner's app at your favorite app store. If you've been navigating God's wisdom with us through this year's annual read and would like to hear personal reflections from pastors in your community, check out the Gospel Everyday Podcast. Imagine feeding your heart, mind, and soul with the kind of practical wisdom that will change your life. If you haven't picked up the annual read yet, visit marinerschurch.org or download the Mariners app for more information on where to find it.